This is our final week in our series on the life of David. Everybody say, aww. It's been like four months, but it's, it's been a lot of fun. This is the, the deepest dive into in the life of David that I've ever done. And it's been encouraging for me because his life is way messed up. Uh, and so for those of you who have messed up lives and a lot of family drama, raise your hand if that is you. You have some hope in your life because David had probably worse family drama than you, and he turned out all right in the end. And what we're going to reflect on right now is actually his last and his final words that he will give to his people. It's really like a psalm, and this is one of the only psalms that we see not actually in the book of Psalms. It's only in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter 23. And I think it's important to take note what David is writing here. At the end of someone's life, kind of when someone is lying on their deathbed, they always reflect back on their good decisions and their bad decisions. And there's always some short phrase of some advice that they would give to their, their next generation. And it's words that we should really take notice of and study because though David had flaws in his life, he was, it says in scripture, he was a man after God's own heart. He was a phenomenal leader, military leader. He was a man of God. And when he was confronted on his sin, it was always met with repentance. So these are words that we should really take note of. And just in reflecting on this guy's story, David, he came from humble beginnings, went through a lot. There was a lot of ups and a lot of downs in his spiritual walk and even just in his life in general. There are times when he was given praise, when he defeated Goliath and people were basically singing uh, songs of praise about him. There's a song they used to sing, David, uh, Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. Oh, this guy is so cool. So he had these these celebrity status moments, and some of these moments we, we think will bring us joy and happiness, but it turned on David, and then he was fleeing for his life for many years, and the king, which was his father-in-law, was attempting to kill him. Again, talk about family drama, you guys. He would flee for his life, be in the woods. His best friend of all time was Jonathan, who was Saul's son. He would lose his best friend. And again, just I want you to imagine the ups and downs in David's life. He had mountain highs, and he had valley lows. He had seasons of sunshine and joy in his life. He also had a lot of seasons of of downpours. How many of you have had some of these seasons in your life? You have times of sunshine and joy, which are times that we should accept and, and love. But my reflection over the last couple of years is I I think as a culture, we do a really poor job at grieving. We do a really poor job at acknowledging the rainy days that we have in our life. Because as David will say in this chapter, what do we need for growth? We need sun. Can I get an amen from the church? I like the clouds and rain. I'm an Oregonian. It's in my blood. I'm sorry. How many of you are sunshine people? Those of you that like to go to Arizona in the, in the summertime or the wintertime, I should say. But what do we need for growth? If it was sunshine every single day, would we experience, would the plants experience growth? Absolutely not. Or if it rained and was cold every single day, would there be any growth? No. 
Growth happens when you have a, a perfect blend and mixture of sunshine mixed with rain. And so the days that are joyous and, and, and sunshiny and brings joy and happiness to our lives, we take those days and we allow them to draw us nearer to God. We praise God in the good, but also we need to learn to praise God in the downpours, when it's raining, when we feel like sometimes that God isn't even there. And so as, as we reflect just on these verses, it says, the title of the chapter is, is David's last words. It's interesting, the first really seven verses, again, is this psalm, it's poetic form, and it's David's reflection over, I think, the mistakes that he made, good character versus bad character. And the rest of the chapter is just David talking about the importance of community and giving credit to where credit is due, knowing that David always had people around him. So to experience growth, we need the sunshine, we need the rain, but also what we need is a healthy sense of community. If you think about David's life, what happened in the only moment that we know of where he completely isolated himself? It says in Scripture that he stayed home and all of his buddies were out in the battlefield. That is where he experienced moral failure, and what came out of that were tremendous consequences and pain. So the lessons that David learned in his life is if you fear God and if you pursue God, it will bring joy and happiness and growth in the good seasons and in the bad seasons. If you lose the fear of God and focus more about yourself and the world revolves around you, all that's going to happen in your life is you'll bring pain upon yourself. Jesus says in the book of Matthew, what do you gain if you get the whole world, but you lose your soul? And my question is for how many of us, that's what we've been pursuing. What the world can give us instead of being, knowing that we're made in the image of God and knowing that God has a calling for you. Many of us think, oh, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. And we just start listing off these reasons. Well, that's why we have the story of David. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you're not in the same place as David was, yet he was used by God in a tremendous way. And in fact, we are all saved through the line of David. Because who came through the line of David? Jesus, right? And Jesus is the Savior of the world, the Son of God, who came to serve, who came to give his life as a ransom for many. So let's just take a time and reflect on these words. If you have your smartphones or an iPad, you can take out your Bible app. If you have a physical Bible, you can open up to 2 Samuel chapter 23. It starts off by saying, these are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, speaks. David, the man who is raised up so high. David, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. So David was anointed by God. In verse 5, we'll get to in a minute, he says, uh, is not my family God, is not my family that God has chosen. So first we need to take note that David was chosen. But here is the crazy thing. Guess who else is chosen? You are, if you're a follower of Jesus. You have been chosen by God to accomplish the will that he has in your life. 
So don't allow the lies to penetrate your life of you're not good enough, that you can't be used by God because if you believe in Jesus and his death and his resurrection, you have been made clean. Can I get an amen from the church? What does it mean you've been made clean? It means God can use you. It means when you stand before the judgment seat of God, when you get there and we will all get there, God will see you as clean because there will be somebody standing in between you and God and that is Jesus. So it doesn't matter the decisions that you made. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you made. As David will know, vast consequences come from some of our decisions that we make, but that does not mean that we are not forgiven. Forgiven sins still have consequences in your life. But David was chosen. You, for the followers of Jesus today, you are chosen. Scripture says this time and time again. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says, But you are a chosen race. Say, I am chosen. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Everybody say, I'm called. Everybody say, I'm called. Everybody say with some gusto, I'm called. Out of darkness into a marvelous marvelous light. And this light is what we were going to proclaim to the world. But understanding and knowing that you are called. That again, it doesn't matter the decisions that you made. Yes, there may be consequences for ungodly decisions that you have made. But you are forgiven and God has a plan for your life. And sometimes we just need to allow that to to grow us a little bit. Sometimes I feel like what we want is five minutes of training, five minutes of the presence of God, and then we go for for a lifetime of ministry. But even if you reflect on Jesus' life, he was in training for 30 years, for three years of vocational ministry. What I've learned about development and, and growth and discipleship is there's no ifs, ands, or buts around it. It just takes time. No matter how much water you dump onto your garden, it only grows over time. If you look at all the trees around us, there are some things that can happen, some circumstances that may be a little bit faster growth, depending on the rain and the sun, but you're only going to get a little seedling to be a giant tree over a long period of time. If you drive through the Northern California redwoods, right, raise your hand if you've been there before, massive trees, hundreds and hundreds of years old. Discipleship and growth, it takes time. So don't try to go too fast. Take it one day at a time. I've been talking with some of our church partners that are going through our partner course right now that we just want to dedicate 90 seconds, to, uh, 90 seconds a day. That's where it starts. Oftentimes what we want to do is jump right into and say, all right, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm dedicating my life to, to growth and my relationship with God. I'm going to study the Bible for one hour tomorrow. I'm going to pray for two hours tomorrow and I'm going to do it every single day. And then you get discouraged because you don't do it and then you just quit. So we talked about 90 seconds a day, 90 seconds in the middle of your work day. Just take a second, pull over to the side of the road, take a step out of your cubicle and just go stand in the presence of God in silence for 90 seconds and just get the discipline for 90 seconds. And then as time, as you learn that discipline of just 90 seconds a day, 
then expand and, and grow. But again, it just it takes time, and you have to start somewhere. Don't be so hard on yourself. Treat yourself like you would treat a friend. That's what we've been working on. 90 seconds a day, take a step, knowing that you are chosen by God. You have a purpose for his will, and we want to give our lives for the will that God has for us. You are chosen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 5 says this, even as he chose us in before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You are chosen. And my reflection is, prove it by the way that you live. If you are chosen by God, you need to act like it. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 3, prove by the way that you live. Everybody repeat after me. Prove by the way that you live. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and you've turned to God. And if I'm honest with you, the last couple of years have been so sad for me to see because I believe we have done a very poor job at this as the capital C church across the United States of America. We've allowed things to come in and divide the church. Instead of hearing people's opinions and thoughts, instead of just judging people, writing them off and sending them out the door to the next place. Prove by the way that you live. You have been chosen by God. We should act like it. We should continue to pursue Jesus in the the sunny days and the rainy days, the times of conflict and the time where everybody seems like gets along, which by by taking note, that never happens, does it? (laughs) There's never a time when every single person gets along. There's a little bit for Adam and Eve, but then it's been downhill since they ate the fruit. So we all experience this division. And what we need to do is focus on ourselves and our own relationship with God and the community of the church. Say, what is my calling? What has God called me to do? Where does God have me? Who are the people around me that I can be a light to? Who are the people around me that I can show the love of Jesus to? Think about those in your life who are your your neighbors. Think about those who are your co-workers that you see on a daily basis pursuing something that might not be godly at all. God has placed you in their path for a reason. Again, it is not our, our uh, responsibility to force people to believe the message of Jesus. It is our responsibility. It is our responsibility to love people well, to prove by the way that we live, to bring peace to calamity. I know some of you in the places where you work, there's a lot of drama. Raise your hand if this is the case. <laughs> For those of you not raise your hands, so you're just not being honest. We'll talk about lying next week. But uh, there uh, might be a lot of drama where you live. You say, what's my calling as a follower of Jesus in this mess? Seems like everybody's like at each, other, at each other's throats. It's just drama and there's, and there's triangulation and gossiping and talking behind people's backs. Well, Jesus has called you to bring peace to the mess to be a calm presence in the mess. That is being the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. It is, yes, feeding the homeless, being kind to those who are poor, to the widows, absolutely. But it's also in the professional world where God has you. Ask yourself this week as you just reflect with the people around you, what is my calling? How can I be the hands and the feet of Jesus today? And when you get discouraged, 
take 90 seconds out of your day, go stand outside in the sunshine, which we do have about 90 days out of 365 days a year. So if it's one of those 90 days, go out in the sunshine or the rain. God, I know that you're good. I pray that you just be with me in this time. Let me pursue you. Let me make godly decisions. And I pray I prove to people in my office place that I'm a follower of Jesus by the way that I live, by how that I act. You are chosen. Say, I'm chosen. You are chosen. David says he was anointed by God. He made a lot of mistakes in his life. When God makes a covenant with someone, it doesn't matter at that point the decisions that they make. God didn't make a covenant with Saul. He was rejected. God made a covenant with David, even with moral failure. There was repentance. There was forgiveness. There was consequences. But God didn't break his promise with David. God said, David, your family line will last forever. Who's in David's family line? Joseph, the father of Jesus. So we're really all affected by the line of David through Jesus. So it says, David, the man anointed by the God of Jacob. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Verse 2. It says, the spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are upon my tongue. Again, just reflect. These are David's last words he's giving to his people. His words are upon my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me. Time and time again, you're reading the Psalms. David refers to God as his rock. And there are times when David builds unhealthy structures on the rock, but when those structures collapse... God is always there to lift him up. David rests, as he writes in the Psalms, in the shelter of God's wings. And so do you. That even when you make really poor decisions, even when you make ungodly decisions with repentance, it will be met with the forgiveness of God and you will experience eternal life with no more pain and no more suffering and no more political drama and no more wars or rumors of wars and all of this stuff. Raise your hand if you're looking forward to this time. I'm looking forward to this time, but here's the deal. We have a very important mission while we live on this planet Earth. Our vision as a church is to be a movement of Jesus in the Willamette Valley and beyond. What does that mean? We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever we go, in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces, when we're just going to the grocery store, smiling and asking people how their, how their day is going and praying for people. This is what a movement of Jesus is all about. That people can experience a community that they desperately need and desire. Because over the last two years, some for health reasons and for other reasons, we have completely isolated ourselves from any sense of community. But there's power when you talk with someone, isn't there? There's power when you see somebody's eyes. There's power when you're with someone and you're actually your true self, not your false self, but your true self. This is where growth happens. And this is the community I desire and we desire at Liberty Christian Church. But that takes time, as we've talked about. It doesn't just happen overnight. It takes time and it takes vulnerability when you know there's a place here with people that will not judge you for your beliefs, whether you voted the left or the right or in the middle or in between. We don't care. We want to encourage and support each other. We also want to hold each other accountable and proving by the way that we live that we have repented of our sins and we have turned to God. 
that even if we've built to these structures sometimes that are ungodly, eventually they will fall and will fall back on the rock. We turn to Jesus as we reflected on last week and Jesus pulls us out of the water and says, there may be some consequences for the choices that you have made, but you were forgiven and I still have a job for you. You get sent to jail, well, you go tell all those people in jail about Jesus. You get fired, well, I'm sorry, that might have been a, a consequence from one of the decisions that you made. God still has a calling on your life. Allow the seasons of sun and the seasons of rain for growth in your life. Don't run away from the grief. Don't run away from the rain. Allow it to grow you in your relationship with God. David says, the one who rules righteously... So let's rewind back to verse 3. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, the one who rules righteously, who rules in the fear of God. Everybody say, fear of God. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, the fear of God is at the beginning of wisdom. And I think our culture is lacking some of this. People don't care. People could care less. People don't believe in God. People don't care about any fear of God. And it's not an unhealthy fear. It's, it's more of a, a deep reverence, an honor, and a respect for a God who is worthy to be feared, a God who can end your life anytime he wants because he's God. I'm, am I saying he's going to do that? No, but he is a God who is worthy to be feared and a question I've asked myself in reflecting on these final words of David is, is this how you are living your life? Is this how we are living our lives in a true reverence, in a deep fear of God? And it seems like when we start making decisions in our own way, ungodly decisions, it's because we lose our fear of God. And again, as Proverbs says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God. And teaching other people that there is a God, he is real, and he is worthy to be feared. And he loves you tremendously. And he has a calling on your life. That it's not just gumballs and rainbows and gumdrops. Life is hard. Never once in the entire Bible, not in the entire Bible, does it say that your life is easy on this planet Earth. In fact, as we've reflected in the past, it says the opposite. It says you have immense challenges. You'll be faced with temptation. Jesus says the world will hate you because you are my followers. Are you willing to say no to the world to say yes to God? Are you willing to stand firm in the principles that you believe in, even if they are not popular? And a phrase I'm trying to get out of my vocabulary is agree to disagree because it's just a little harsh for me. You believe that, I believe. it kind of sounds like a, a six-year-old to me, right? Well, I don't want you. you believe that, I'll believe what I want to believe, leave me alone. That's what it feels like to me. Instead of, you may have your beliefs and your principles, I have my beliefs and my principles, and I'm willing to hear your opinion, and if I disagree, I'm willing to listen and simply say something like, I appreciate you giving me your opinion, I see things a little bit differently. I've been working on this in my vocabulary. <laughs> Instead of being so harsh, of we just agree to disagree. It's harsh. It's hard to be connected to somebody that you have radical disagreements with. And if you see what's happening in our country, in the world, you just see more division and division and division. People are separating ways for fairly minor issues, it seems like. Instead of just allowing people to speak their opinions, 
Maybe you disagree. Say, thank you for sharing your opinion. I see things differently. And you share your opinions. Always willing to confess on, on my opinions if, if my mind is changed or if something new revelation happens. That's how we grow. That's what it is being a mature, emotionally mature adult. Being confident in your principles, but with concession to change. And hearing each other out on our opinions, not just writing somebody off because they have these views and you have these views and it's the right and it's the left and then it's split down the middle. So being kind to one another. David says again, the one who rules righteously, who rules in the fear of God. Verse four, he says, for those who make these types of decisions in righteously in the fear of God, it is like light of the morning at sunrise. Did any of you wake up at sunrise last week, a couple of those days when it's actually sunny? Did any of you remember this? I just want to make sure I wasn't just like not believing what I was seeing, right? I love the spring mornings in Oregon when you look out your window and you're like, what is that yellow orb in the sky that I see? It's blinding me. It's so peaceful. The other day, my wife went outside. She said, Stephen, it sounds like a rainforest out here. Went out there and there's the birds chirping. The sun is coming up. You see the, the dew on the grass in the morning and it's all quiet. There's no screaming or tires on the road yet or cars driving by. It's just so peaceful. How many of you love this time? How many of you are morning people? How many of you wish you were morning persons? <laughs> Nighttime is a good time too. But just, there's just something about the morning, the peace. When, whenever I force myself, sometimes I take spiritual retreats where I wake up at five o'clock in the morning when the sun is just rising and I just drive out to the coast. Man, it's so peaceful. There's no drama on the news yet. It hasn't been long enough in the day for a new headline to send you to a path down a rabbit hole of fear and depression. It's just you and God and the peace and the stillness. And David says, those who rule righteously rules in the fear of God. It's like light of the morning sunrise. And again, David understood the differences in godly decisions and ungodly decisions. He, he understood and, and saw in his own life the joy that came from godly decisions and, the, and prosperity that it brought in his life versus the ungodly decisions that he made that led him down a path of pain and consequences. So those who rule righteously in the fear of God, it's like light at the morning sunrise, like a morning without clouds, like a gleaming of the sun on new grass after rain. Your character matters. Your character matters. How you live your life matters. Sometimes we think Sunday mornings, here we go, we're at church, right? We kind of put on our church face sometimes. And I do my hair differently than I do the rest of the week on Sundays, you know, button up the shirt. And then throughout the week, you kind of do your own thing and whatever. And then it comes back to Sunday and we can get back in our Sunday form and all that type of stuff. And but the way you act throughout the week is just as important the way you act on Sundays. Living the same way all throughout your life, your character matters. The small decisions that you make, the way you interact with your coworkers, it It matters. It matters. And I love here in these two verses, again, see what David lists off. Light the morning sunrise. You have sunrise, clouds, gleaming of the sun on new grass after rain. Because again, for character development and character growth, we need all seasons in our life. That's why I think Oregon is the most godly state in the country, if I'm honest with you. 
<laughs> just kidding. Arizona, all they got is sun. Those are a bunch of heathens down there. No, just kidding. That's a joke. All of our Arizona listeners have just tuned out. We just lost some subscribers on YouTube just now. Sorry. But we need all the seasons for growth. That's why I love Oregon. In the springtime, the sun comes, everything's growing everywhere. You got the city workers going around chopping down things. And, and over back behind the church, there's these bushes that just grow up like crazy. Because it's like the perfect blend of sun and rain. And again, that's what we need for character development. Even though David made mighty mistakes in his life and had many seasons of torrential downpours, what I love about David is he allows those seasons to draw him closer in his relationship with God. He never curses God. He never says, God, why would you do this? He says, really, I I deserve this. When he's weeping, God, let my child live. His child passes away and now is in the presence of God. He cleans himself off and he continues to, and it says he goes over and he, and he worships God. In the middle of his suffering, what does David do? He bows before the feet of God. David allows the seasons of sun. He had lots of prosperity in his life. Again, he had lots of ups and a lot of downs. He was fleeing for his life. There's prosperity. There is expansion in his kingdom. People would sing songs of praise about him. He was chosen as a shepherd boy. He defeated Goliath. All of these ups and downs, yet in every season, the rain and the clouds and the sun, David used those in his life to pull him closer in his relationship with God. And again, we do an okay job at the sunshine part. In fact, we do an okay job with the clouds, but we as a culture do a poor job at grief. How many of you grew up, don't have to raise your hands on this one, how many of you grew up where it's just, you didn't cry in the house? You didn't show tears, you didn't show emotions, it was bad. To this day, and again, this wasn't even something that was communicated to me by my parents or my father. It just never happened in my family. I witnessed my father cry twice in my entire life. One was when his mother died, and it was like two tears, and that was it. And the other was when my, he sat my, myself and my sisters down and said that he and my mom were getting divorced, and there's just a few tears, and that was it. Those were the only two experiences I've ever had with emotions in my family system. And so what happens if you're in the same place as me, potentially, is when we begin to get emotional and when we have this seasons of rain and, and downpours and, and we feel ourselves going towards tears, we almost have an immense sense of shame and guilt. I'm not strong enough. I'm too weak. Instead of, again, allowing those seasons to pull us closer to God, instead of being filled with shame, look at how Jesus act, acted. Did Jesus weep around people? Absolutely. Jesus didn't hide his emotions. When he was mad, he showed his anger, and he did it strategically. When he was sad, he grieved with his people. When he was on the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was going to sacrifice his life for you and for me, it says he was sweating to great drops of blood. And he was weeping. God, if there's any other way, let it be done. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. We have to figure out how to use these seasons of grief 
to pull us closer to God. And we're actually going to do a sermon series for about four weeks just reflecting on grief because what's happened over the last two years, I believe there is a grief tsunami that is coming our way. And sometimes even with grief, we say things like, people have it worse off than me. I shouldn't grieve about this. Grieve those things. Think of all the hundreds of students that missed out on two years of high school or middle school. Think about the kids that missed out on graduation. Kids who missed out on, on the dances and just like the school experience. It's even small things. Uh, because of COVID and, you know, all the chaos of the last two years, my youngest daughter, June, who is now, I have four kids. I kind of forget their ages sometimes. But she's like two years old, something in there. <laughs> but we missed the entire church nursery stage with her, basically. And I find we've been grieving that because that's one of my favorite things when you just drop your kid off in the nursery and they play around, you pick them up, and we lost that season. Lost the seasons with my kids and their, like the prime kid ages of three, four, five, six, and the last two years, you know, it's, just been, it's been insane. What are the things that you have lost? What are the things that you are, are grieving Maybe losing a job, maybe moving, loss of a family. Maybe you lost somebody you loved to COVID or cancer or some sort of sickness and you weren't able to have a real funeral to be able to grieve their loss. Did you move? What we do is we run away from our grief. We try to protect ourselves instead of allowing the pain and the rainy seasons and the downpours to draw us closer to God. And again, this is what I love about David. He's confident in his place. He's confident in his relationship with God. And he doesn't run away in the hard seasons of life. When he's running away, he pursues God. When he's experiencing the rain, he pursues God. When he's experiencing the sun and growth, he he pursues God. But again, we need all of it in our lives for growth. So what are the things that, that you're missing? What are the things that you're, you're grieving? What are the rainy seasons that you've been avoiding? Think, just think about your family system. Did you grow up in a system where you felt shame and guilt when you started to get emotional? When you started weeping, suck it up, son. We don't cry in this household or something like that. It's okay to grieve. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling when you're raised in that context to have a community of people that you trust and know around you that you can weep in front of and be honest with because you feel completely naked in front of them. And it's the most embarrassing. It feels embarrassing. But the more you do it, the easier it becomes and the more you become your true self who God has made you to be. Allowing all of these seasons to pull us closer to our Heavenly Father. So I'm going to pray, and our team's going to come, and we're going to continue to worship. And I'm just going to ask you guys, as, as the team comes up in just a minute, so we spend this last song. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm just going to ask you guys to uh, just reflect. Spend this last song just in reflection to God. Maybe there's something that you've been grieving, something that you've suppressed, maybe even from years in the past. Give those to God. Again, my, my hope for our church is that we can begin, start the baby steps to form this biblical community that even David had, where we can be honest and vulnerable in front of one another. But again, it's, it's not an overnight deal. This is a lifelong journey. And I pray that 
someday when I pass the torch on to the next generation, what we will have built is a, a foundation of people who are honest, who don't shy away from the rainy seasons and the sunny seasons, and we allow all of them to pull us closer to our Heavenly Father. Amen? So let's pray. Our team's going to come. And I just want you to take this last song just in, in reflection, and we'll uh, worship together. God in heaven, I thank you so much for bringing people to this church building today to experience this community. Thank you for our kiddos running around downstairs and for the groups that meet throughout the week. And I just pray that we won't run away from from grief. I pray we won't run away in the rainy seasons, but we will allow those seasons to draw us closer to you. I pray that we can be the community that you've called us to be to take steps of vulnerability, to take steps of honesty with people in this church community. Not even this language of agree to disagree, but being able to, in a healthy environment, share our opinions and challenge one another, but never break off relationship. I pray we are a community of love and joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And let us pursue you in all the seasons of our life. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. So take a couple minutes and reflect and and pray, and we're going to continue to worship together.
my refuge, my hiding place. You're my helper, my healer, my blessed redeemer, my answer, my saving grace. You're my hope in the shadow, my strength. 